but about two years ago, I was raped. There's a lot of anger. We're not being manly enough. There are two ideas about safe spaces. My understanding of the world changed. And I felt numb. Are you a man or a mouse? I was alone. I couldn't bring myself to say it. I was lost. All I wanted was to be able to share my experience, what was happening to me with someone. Hey, everyone, and welcome once again to Safe Places and Spaces for Men. Hey, this is your male survivor resiliency coach, Thomas Edward, and also leadership development because we got to learn to develop those leadership skills just as well. Coming to you once again, of course, from Sacramento, California, and it is it's not totally official, but uh, yesterday it was like uh, 80 82 83 i'm like oh no it's coming and so i started looking at the next two weeks it's something about this area in sacramento it's like once the the switch is flipped that's it it's like the heat the heat is here so i'm like okay we got about seven more days maybe in the 70s and after that you look at it, it just says like 80 85 and it starts going up so i'm like oh well i guess i just got to start preparing myself mentally from it All right. So how's everyone doing? Those that are still in their sheltered in places, of course, we are in California. So, hey, I'm getting a lot of planting um, done. So uh, a lot of you guys know that I also have a a degree in herbal science medicine. So, um, you know, this is the time where I'm planting my different medicinal herbs and stuff. The ones that are legal, you guys. (laughs) Okay. out in the backyard and, and growing and then of course you know I do workshops and stuff and just and teaching people on you know different things that they can do you know preventative and just you know keeping themselves uh, going so I, I kind of like think of it as a backyard if you want to call it backyard uh, medicine so just some things some preventive things to help you to work through and I like it because you know the thing about you know foods and herbs and stuff like like that is they're a little bit cheaper (laughs) so if you can do as much preventive stuff as possible um, that is great all right so we're continuing kind of our if you want to say a little series on help me understand thank you for sending in those um, emails and asking questions so I'm going to try and address um, some more questions that I received that we're talking about now, I am going to share with you that one. So someone did ask me about the whole idea of, you know, sexual abuse and then later years, adults, how, you know, that could move us possibly or influence us for things like pornography, those different type of things. Usually I always save that for the workshop because when the guys come, a lot of them are dealing with uh, those issues or the ones that I'm working with. And so we start uh, talking about those things and then that gives me time because then we've got three days and I can introduce it. Um, and we start talking about how um, sex, whether whether you want it, unwanted, whatever, um, how it affects a child's brain. <clears throat> so what goes on, what wires and things are being lit up that shouldn't be lit up, whatever, at that age. And then we talk about how that influences, as we say, or flips on the switch. So then We've got even more compounding, you know, issues and sequelae that we're dealing with because of that. And then oftentimes those things come up later. And I always tell the guys that <clears throat> at least I've, I've noticed, not just only in my own life and working with other survivors, that then those things oftentimes pop up during times of stress, like extreme stress or those stressors kind of keep flipping those switches and then our little brains kind of go back to 
those spots. It's just it's so that's why I say it's a lot of stuff to to talk about and to deal with. So uh, I always usually save that for the the workshop. So if that's you, I really want to encourage you to come to um, the workshop. And so then that can help you understand it a little bit more because it's one of those subjects when I talk about I want to make sure that this stuff isn't taken out of out of context and we have an opportunity um, to, to deal with that. So if that's one of the things, uh, guys, um, please, I want to encourage you um, to do that uh, when possible. Hopefully when we get back and we can all uh, gather together again. So I had a question um, that was asked. And so this person, the issue that the person who loves the survivor is dealing with is one where uh, her male survivor was abused by uh, a female. So the perpetrator was female. And so um, from this person's perspective, they can't realize or they're having a hard time understanding. Well, it's like, well, you know, if they were abused, the perpetrator was female, you know, is it really that bad? Can it can it be that bad or or not that bad? All right. So this kind of gets a little bit more into we're talking about, you know, I'm going to say gender, social conditioning, those different type of things. So let's kind of have that discussion around that. And then what I want to do is I want to share some things with you that might help you, you know, when you're trying to understand and deal with this person um, that you love and understanding what they're going through. And I'm going to share this from a perspective. Like I said, this is real. This is real for me. Um, most of you guys that know that uh, parts of my story. And so in parts of my story, I did have female perpetrators and abusers um, in my uh, sexual abuse history. And um, which just really left some really just jarring things because the, the person for me wasn't just about it was a type of abuse, right? So there was torture, those different type of things, uh, physical torture that also took place while the person was also sexually abusing me. So there's a whole lot going into it. And if you heard last week's, you know, we talk about those little brains trying to figure all that out and what's going on. It's a lot, right? And so that's one of the reasons, you know, for me, when I as I continue to do this and work with people, I don't get upset with myself when stuff starts coming up for me because I think about, wow, OK, so now that that little brain, OK, is coming to the surface now because maybe it figures that I can start, you know, dealing with it. And so those things come up and, and we do. But, you know, when we think about this, especially when we're talking about uh, female perpetrators, one of the reasons it just feels so jarring for us to hear about women sexually abusing boys. OK, and notice I did. I didn't say men. OK, so they sexually abused boys. The men will get into another one on a different day. But what it does is it adds an even greater challenge. So from our social conscious perspective, it's easier actually for us to accept boys being violated being abused by men okay now you're like oh come on thomas that, that can't be true i would never you know okay i just want to share something with you see that has a lot to do with being conditioned to always see men as dominators therefore men are usually seen as the ones as being perpetrators okay so whether that case like 
cases are always individual, so no case is the same. But from a general perspective, because of that, and of course we've grown up in, and I'm going to say male-dominated society, that's true. So then from our perspective, the way that we've been socialized and raised, we just often just think of men as being the dominator, the, the perpetrator. And so they kind of fall into uh, stereotypes and social norms that we've been conditioned to think about gender from that perspective. You know, oftentimes when I'm working with the guys at the workshop retreats, we have this exercise that I do. And so what we do, I have this giant, um, um, giant piece of paper. And so then what we do is I ask them to just write down words uh, that describe men, characteristics and things that describe men. And of course, they'll start writing words, you know, because they're relating to themselves and their experience. And so you start seeing words like confident and decisive and astute and intelligent and fierce, right? So then what I do is I join in and I start writing words in there too because I'm participating. And so I write down words like compassionate, uh, nurture. Uh, I put down soft, uh, forgiving, quiet, or passive. And then we start discussing those words, Now, if you guys, those that have coached with me before, you know, I like to cause people to think about things from a different perspective. And so then I'll ask them with the words that they've written up on the board, on the piece of paper. And I'll say, so why can't men be nurturing? Right. And eventually, as we start going through all those words and things that that I've written on the board, they start to realize that the words are simply characteristics and they're characteristics that everyone can possess. But they're just manifested in different ways. So men might manifest nurturing in a different way than women because maybe either because of the way they're wired or the way they've been raised, you know, nurture nature, or the way that they've been socially conditioned to express it. So they might express it differently because of that but it doesn't mean that they don't possess it, right? And it's interesting just to see the looks at everyone's faces when you're you're doing that because it's actually kind of of liberating because you're living in a society that says that, well, for men it looks like this and it has to look like this. And if it doesn't look like that, then you're not a man, right? And so you've got all these these stigma. So uh, for the person that wrote this question, if your husband's abuser or perpetrator gender was female, you need to also realize that there's another stigma attached to the situation. And so let's just talk about that um, a, a little bit. And here's the first one that we often run into. Now, I gave you kind of that premise when we're talking about men being the dominators and the, and the perpetrators to kind of help you to realize this. And that is, OK, here we go. Erections, ejaculations, orgasms, whatever. Those are simply reflexes that happen during the abuse and they don't equal consent okay they don't equal consent so i'm going to say you know contrary to popular you know notion that um men can have an erection um even when they don't want to have an erection but like what are you sure like no all guys they always want it right those are some of the stereotypes that are there but even for men you need to realize that erections can just be a reflex okay Uh, physical stimulation takes place and so the person might not even be mentally 
aroused. And you'll hear oftentimes survivors as they explain this. And so they'll even talk about how they dissociate from their bodies. They dissociate from actually feeling what's going on. And one of the reasons this is difficult because it is a reflex for men as we get older and being tied to that stigma, it really becomes difficult because now how do you now just you remember, you have to think about the society that's out there. So for uh, if we have this certain idea of what manhood looks like. And so now for that man to live in a society where the man says, well, you know what? I got an erection and it wasn't pleasure for me. I didn't, I didn't enjoy it. It actually was hurtful. It was harmful. Well, in the society, and I'm going to say the toxic society that we live in, then that man doesn't fit into the stereotypical norms, right? Because men are supposed to enjoy it. You had an erection. How could you not have enjoyed it? And so that even starts to set up an even more dangerous, if we want to call it stigma, now that that survivor has to work through and, and overcome. Now, of course, not all men will react in, in this way and, and, and not all cases where boys that are being sexually abused will react in that way. But having an erection or, or an orgasm during sexual assault actually is common. Okay, and so we got to make sure that you know, when we're working with that person and trying to understand where they're coming from, don't confuse it with consent. Okay. Don't confuse it with consent. And so sometimes for um, guys out there, so, okay, since we're already talking about sex here, let's just, let's, let's put it out there. So for some men be, because of that, you might notice maybe your partner, the survivor is actually disgusted or terrified with sex, having an erection or orgasms. Now, I want you just to think about this, okay? If that's the case and you were dealing with someone, and let's just say because of that they feel shameful, they want to say anything about it, so guess where they might go in order to receive the relief that they need? Might not even be another person, okay? This is, of course, where the Internet comes into play. OK, so I'm just throwing that out there for something for you to to think about. OK, but the first thing I want you to realize when you're working with a, your male survivor, and you're trying to understand him. If the abuser was female or even male, just realize that from their perspective, they might be dealing with they had an erection orgasm, which is a natural reflex. It's not consent. But for them and in their mind, that just makes it even more challenging. All right. Number two, or let's just think about it from this perspective. All right. Now, you notice when I started off, I said I talked about boys. And I noticed that even when we're talking about this whole stigma of a, just say, female perpetrator, it's interesting when we're talking about if the person is underage, okay, so the boy is underage, they cannot consent. <laughs> they cannot consent to sex with adults. But you know what? Because of the way we've been socialized, we don't think about it from that perspective. And even our movies and stuff reflect this, you know, the graduate. And, you know, so here you have, you know, this this young, um, well, he's 17, whatever, 18, whatever, starting college. And he gets to have, of course, sex with this older woman 
college, whatever teacher or an instructor. Right. And so all the guys around him are thinking, oh, man, you're lucky. Oh, you get to have this experience, those different type of things, as opposed to thinking, wait a minute, this person is underage. Right. And so whether male or female, they can't consent to actually having sex with adults. And, you know, and we actually saw this uh, situation, um, I think it was like around 2018. We had that um, one case. It was like a movie star. Uh, it was Argento. Yeah. Argento and Bennett, where he was 17. Right years old and of course it happened here in the state of in california uh, which is illegal um and so you know she was 20 years older he was he was 17 and then later he comes out as he's sharing this he's like well i was sexually abused but it was hard for me to say that because i'm 17 and you know people assume that well of course you turn the magic age whenever 16 17 that you're a man uh, which is not true and he was just uh, he was uh, explaining how he was even afraid to come forward because of the stigma of people saying, well, what's wrong with you? I mean, you should consider yourself lucky. So the thing is also to realize when you're working with your survivor who was a boy when he was sexually abused under age, that underage children, people do not have the ability to consent to sex with adults. And once again, that goes into, like I said, we talked about before when I talk about um, the workshop, you've got things that are being um, fired up in the brain at that time that shouldn't be fired up. And remember, in the adult brain, uh, men aren't considered fully developed till around 25, 27. So think about those things that are going on. Okay, now. Here's the other thing when we're talking about this whole stigma that you need to realize. And like I said, this goes into this whole idea that, you know, men, you know, they're the perpetrators. So if they've been sexually abused by someone of the opposite gender, they can't really be um, abuse. Okay. The reality is, is there's, there's actually more male survivors assaulted than we actually realize. Um, you know, I have a friend who actually, he does uh, prison. He works in prison ministries and stuff and so he works with individuals and sometimes he shares with me the the stories that he had and i'll ask him i said okay have you had an opportunity to work with any like you know um, people who are in there for you know perpetrating uh, abusing uh, children and he said yes and i said okay so just share with me i said do you hear more about um, females being abused or more about males being abused and he says, surprisingly, he says, oftentimes, he says, it's more men and more and more boys. And I'm like, why is that? When you when you ask him the questions, because he does like forensic science, you know, so they're asking these people. And he says, oftentimes, in those cases, at least for the male, uh, the perpetrators realize that if they sexually abuse boys, because of the stigma and those different type of things surrounding it, the boys aren't going to say anything. So it actually makes them more easier to sexually abuse. Okay. Now that was from, you know, the perspective of the men that he was talking, talking with and, and them sharing their experience. So that's not for everyone. But then just also realizing even when we look at this whole number, when we talk about male survivors, there's actually more than we actually realize especially when we're talking about sexual abuse that takes place before the age of 18 and there's that magical number but that's the number that they they use in cases in law and so that's the magical age is 16 
which it doesn't matter if the person's not emotionally ready or emotionally mature. That's just kind of the age that we've been given because that's the age where you can, you know, go out, whatever, fight for your country, those different type of things. Now, oh my goodness, the time always goes. Okay, so here's the other thing for the individual that's working with your male survivor that was uh, sexually abused by a female. So male survivors of female perpetrators, we've talked about this a little bit, are often shamed into silence. Okay, So that's because the prevailing myth in our society, of course, like we said before, is that what do guys want? Well, guys want sex all the time, right? And women's are the women are the ones who are responsible for saying no. Okay, so that's kind of the, the idea that's floating out there. That's the myth that's flowing out there. And so then what that says is the myth it teaches or it says that boys and men that our urges are uncontrollable. And so that of course implies that guys have no sexual boundaries. Now, I'm going to throw the word in. Okay, I want you to change that word. So that implies that boys, I want you to think about boys, I want you to think about your six, your seven-year-old, whatever, have no sexual boundaries. Okay, now when you say that, you say, Thomas, that sounds so ridiculous. Yes, it does. But in our society, when we talk about the stigma, because of the way that we've been socially conditioned, Oftentimes, that's not the way that we're actually looking at it. We're just thinking, oh, it's a, it's a male, right? They want it, whatever. And so what happens is the men are often shamed into silence. So, But it's also dangerous because when we think about from society, especially you know, other men, what happens is they might uh, laugh at the person, they might mock the person, um, even treat the person different and so then that makes it difficult for male survivors to actually reach out for support and we'll get into uh, the whole gay thing in in another one but that's one of the one of the reasons and you know this whole idea of toxic masculinity and it is it is true it is it is real um I, i think it's you know that's the term that we give to it but you know to me it's just People who don't have the ability or they're not using their ability to be kind to other people, to, to be positive and to see things. But when we talk about the toxic masculinity, it does make it hard for guys to to see themselves as being men. Men who were victimized or were victims, but being men because then they don't fit into this certain category. And so then what happens is because, let's just say, they were disgusted by that, then they get thrown into another, if you want to say stigma, a stereotype. And so then they're like, oh, well, that's, you know, you didn't like it, so that's just a simple homophobic response, right? And so, oh, now, so now the person's saying that because I was disgusted during the sexual abuse by the female, so now that makes me gay. Okay, so notice all these things when you're you're talking about this person that you love who's a male survivor who was abused, sexually abused by a female, how that might push him into silence, right? And then because of that, what happens is on a societal level, and then it all causes us to start believing the cases that this is rarer, rarer than what really happens, okay? 
Now, here's the thing I kind of wanted to to wrap this up with, and I want you to, to really think about this. The reality is that boys and men, when we're talking about this whole category, deserve the right to say no. The reality is, is that we often just throw them in the category of, yes, it happened. Oh, so they must have wanted whatever. So it, it doesn't matter. Right. It doesn't matter your gender. It doesn't matter what sexual orientation. But men deserve boys deserve the right to say no and to have their boundaries respected and not made fun of. See, to me, there's there's no circumstances in which anyone, whether man or female, woman, man, boy or girl, deserves to be raped, deserves to be abused, deserves to be violated, deserves to be sexually assaulted. And so we can throw the stereotypes around as much as we want to. And there are a lot of stereotypes surrounding, you know, what rape and assault must look like. And that's actually that's dangerous. okay? and because what happens is oftentimes because of these different type of stereotypes and things, what we notice is that male survivors actually face an increased risk of suicide. And I'll tell you, when I'm on the calls and stuff with the guys, these things pop up for us, pop up for us a, a, a lot. You know, even when I talk with guys, they've been discharged, whatever, from their therapist and they're coming to me for coaching because they're like, well, the therapist said I was OK. They discharged me. But why do I still have all these dysfunctional habits and things that I'm dealing with? It's like, well, OK, so well, like the therapy didn't address those or deal with those. And so we get to to work with those things. And because of these stigmas and, and things, oftentimes for male survivors, they can lead to things like, you know, depression, mental illness addictions okay we, we've talked about that but now think about what we talked about at the beginning okay and how that is going to affect that childhood brain but you know here's the hope there's always hope right with proper support healing is possible for survivors healing is possible for the man that you love that suffered that sexual abuse from that female perpetrator but the thing is, you got to understand some of the places that the person is coming from. Like I said in the last one, I'm never advocating. Well, that's, you know, that gives us the right or the reason to, to, to mistreat people to do anything like that. But if you're going to help and if you're going to support that person, it's going to help not just him, but it'll also help you to understand some of these things because then it allows you to have a little bit more grace, a little bit more compassion for that, what that individual is going through. Now, here's the thing, and I always say this, especially to those that love male survivors. Remember, you are not their therapist. <laughs> you are not whatever their, their coach or whatever. You're there to support theirs. You know, so if you're a spouse, you're the spouse. Be the spouse. Be a supporting spouse. But you don't have to you don't have to give them whatever counseling session, those different type of things. Let them know that you're there. No, let them know, you know, even if you start to understand this a little bit more, maybe you're starting to listen to some of the podcasts and you're like, you know what, Thomas, I'm starting to understand this a little bit more. Okay, well, what I'm hoping is that will just give you an opportunity then to just have a little bit, like I said, more compassion or grace for that individual that you love and then encourage them, encourage them to continue to get the help. Encourage them if they're doing therapy to continue to do therapy, continue to do the coaching. But here's the one thing I also want to say to you. 
because this is the thing when we're talking about sexual abuse, which is a crime. Okay. It affects everyone. So you living with that person, it affects you just like it affects the person who was actually sexually abused. So here's my thing. I need you to make sure that you're taking care of yourself also. Okay. Making sure that you're getting the support that you need making sure that you're getting the, the, the nourishment, making sure that you're taking time, whatever, for yourself and making sure that you're doing things to make sure that you're good, right? Making sure that you got your oxygen mask on, you know, especially if you've got kids. Oh my goodness, I can't, you know, I can't uh, imagine, you know, doing all that, working with the survivor too, and you're just, just trying to Make sure that everything is good. So I need you to make sure if you're a person who loves a male survivor and they're close in your life, they're there in your family, you're living with them, you're working with them. I need you to make sure that you're also taking care of yourself. Like I said, support them, but you got to make sure that you're taking care of yourself. All right. I hope that that helps, you know, so much. And we'll keep doing this series on help me understand. Um, you know, I'm, 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 I love a male survivor. And so I hope this is helpful. We'll do another question next time um, on the next podcast to my male survivors out there. You know, I'm here. Remember that you're always cared and by the person who's on the other end of this microphone. I, even though I haven't met you and I haven't seen you, but we share something. Okay. And so what you need to realize and understand that there is someone who kind of gets it, may not have the total same experience. They're like, oh, but, you know, Thomas, man, your stuff is just too extreme compared to what I experienced. Oh, no. But the thing is that we have experienced. And so I always say that makes us brothers. That makes us family. All right. Till next time. Your head down.